Well, good morning again from me. What a passage to preach on in our communion service. And um, it's quite a spicy one, actually, and may offend us, which is why Jesus says, does this offend you? And I've called it Count Dracula and King Jesus. Um, And I'll hopefully explain why. It's quite an off-putting message for us middle-class, well-to-do, sanitized people. But it's, it's life when we crack into it. Um, Right, 1897, um, someone wrote a book. Who was it and what did they write? Yep. The book was Dracula. Who wrote it? Bram Stoker. Where was he born? Ireland. And uh, he wrote that and it became the prototype for loads of vampire works ever since. Comics and books and films. It was possibly based on Vlad the Impaler. Um, So Dracula, in case you don't know, in case it hasn't been explained before in the pulpits of Park End, um, Dracula is an undead. He bites people and he's deeply connected to blood. And he benefits from blood. And I think Stoker was probably familiar with the Bible. Um, We'll get there in a minute why. Here's some famous... Count Dracula's sayings, well, actually, I couldn't find too... Most of Dracula's sayings were quite romantic. And as I was looking through them all, he pretty much just wanted a girlfriend. And loads of his quotes are just like, I long for a lady in my life. But I was trying to find stuff about blood. But I felt quite bad for him. And then I looked at King Kong and Count Dracula and the Phantom of the Opera. They all just want girlfriends. It's really sad. Not that having a girlfriend's really sad, sorry. No, no, I didn't mean that. Anyway, I found one from Dracula linked to blood. I'm going to get a bite to drink. Makes you think. And no doubt, as we read John chapter 6, as James read it, a bit of that was in our mind. This is quite gruesome. Is this like Dracula-esque? Sort of, but the Jesus version of the blood story is infinitely better. That's why Count is just a count, but Jesus is a king. When he talks about blood, it's really life-changing. In fact, Dracula and Jesus are complete opposites. They both deal with blood, but the outcomes are completely different. Now, I did some more research. Dracula's arch-nemesis, Van Helsing, he, he said... When Dracula bites people and turns other people into vampires, he says this, when they become such, there comes with the change the curse of immortality. They cannot die. Whereas actually Jesus' blood gives immortality, but it's not a curse. Not a curse. So there's one similarity but a big difference. Dracula is quite evangelistic. Listen to this one. He must go on age after age, adding new victims and multiplying the evils of the world. That's evangelism, spreading around the message. Jesus tells people to do that about his blood, but it's not to multiply the evils of the world, the good. It's to multiply the good of the world. Now here's a real blood one. Dracula requires no other sustenance but fresh human blood, which has the effect of rejuvenating him and allowing him to grow younger. And in the Bible, sinners and lost people are said to require no other sustenance than the blood of Jesus. 
Does that offend you? Jesus says. Here's another one. His power, Dracula's, is drawn from the blood of others and he cannot survive without it. The Bible says the church's power is drawn from the blood of Jesus and we cannot survive without it. And here's my last Dracula quote. Dracula's preferred victims are women. Sorry, ladies. Jesus, though, prefers to help anyone, especially victims and often women. And we come to John 6, a seemingly weird and gruesome passage, quite an offensive one. People who don't like Christians might say this, there's too much blood, especially those evangelicals. They're always talking and singing about blood and judgment and the cross. They sing hymns like, we cling to the old rugged cross. I don't want that gruesome message said to me. The problem there is, though, it's not just Christians that say it. The big man says it as well. And I'm just going to reread 53 and 54. Jesus said to them, the people listening to him, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. My friends, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches that his blood raises people up on the last day. Those who connect to the blood of Jesus, and I'll explain how in a minute. There is a new world coming after this. There's no sin. There's no bloodshed. There's no bodily leakages, there's no decay, there's no crying, there's no illness. And Jesus' blood rises people up to that world to come. Where we get new bodies and live in that world with no sin. And it's all based on His risen body. So we're not just guessing. It's based on where He is with His body and His blood will raise everybody up who's listening. If we trust in it, if we feed on it, now he'll raise us up with our hearts and soon bodily in that world to come. Here's another Dracula quote. I realize I just said uh, my last one was about two minutes ago, but here's another one. Here's Dracula. Although drinking blood can rejuvenate his youth and strength, it does not give him the ability to regenerate. Months after being struck on the head by a shovel, he still bears a scar from the impact. I thought, well, that's rubbish. That's a rubbish blood heal. Months after and you've still got a shovel mark on your head. The blood of Jesus, his, where his blood transports us to. There's no shovel marks on the people who trust in the Lord Jesus, his Revelation 21.4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes as they enter that new world to come. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. I can only imagine that includes shovels to the head for the old order of things have passed away. No shovel scars on the head for those under the blood of Jesus. Christians are raised to flawlessness. The only scars in that world to come are the ones in Jesus' hands on full display so that everyone there knows what it cost him to get us there. 
So here's Jesus' message. Feeding on him leads to eternal life. Spiritual new life, and on that great last day, bodily new life. Those under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will never taste eternal death, judgment, loss, decay, or pain. Come to Jesus. He is truth. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Does this offend you? It sounds bonkers. Are you calling us to cannibalism? Does it offend you, says Jesus? Because he knew we'd be thinking like that. If we're offended, imagine the group who were there at the time, largely of which were churchgoers, who would have read this verse in Leviticus 17. Listen to this one. This is the Lord saying, I will set my face against anyone who eats blood, and I will cut them off from my people. For the life of a creature is in the blood. So they would have known that, right? We're not eating any blood. The Lord says not to. And then Jesus rocks up and says, feed on my blood. So if we're offended, imagine them. What's with the blood? The Bible says blood is precious. Very precious. Your life is in your blood. It's a sign of life. And when we leak and the blood spills out, it's a big deal. The Bible takes that very seriously. It's a sign that we're vulnerable and decaying. Do you remember the first time you saw someone with a bad cut or the first time you grazed your knee? You probably thought it was over for you. What's all this stuff pouring out of my leg? It's quite shocking. Um, You're like, Mom, I'm dying. And she goes, no, just a graze. But it's the first time it's a shocker. Uh, We don't forget it, or you get a nosebleed in primary school, and everybody gathers around the person, like, look at that! She's dying, miss! Because it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be inside. Uh, And it's like, it makes us think of death. I remember when I was eating a bowl of Frosties in about 1992, and a bird, like, got run over, because I was eating it in the garden, and I could see a car go by. It ran over the bird, and blood everywhere. And I couldn't eat a bowl of Frosties for months because every time I ate a Frosties, I thought of death and blood. And that's a real like issue. It's like we need that stuff in us. We need someone to push it back in because this is all a bad sign. The Bible says we leak because of sin, because we're separated from the life of God and it just pours out of us. So he sends Jesus to fix that problem. When I get to Acts chapter 15 in the Bible hour, I'm going to try and put the case as to why I still don't eat black pudding. And we'll have a big debate about black pudding on the Bible hour. But the short answer is blood is sacred. Blood is sacred. And it's really fitting because we're coming to this table in a bit. And in 1 Corinthians 11 it says, take in his body and his blood. Remember his body and his blood. What's with all the blood and the flesh? Are we being called this morning to be vampires and to cannibalize the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer to that is no. They didn't do that to him when he said it. They didn't then try and eat him. He was obviously teaching something deep. And this kind of eating of his flesh and blood is this. Because we're under sin... We are all heading 
to death. And Jesus says that's a real problem, so you need to take my life and death into yourself, deep in your hearts. You take me into you, and I'll take you into me. And it's this picture of real strong blood unity. The whole theme of John 6 has been about trusting in him, the bread of life. You're like, Owen, why didn't he put it in a more sanitized way? I can't tell my neighbor when I go home that we just fed on the blood of Jesus. It's too gruesome. Well, the answer to that is it was needed, and it still is today. Jesus picks words that really cut people so they don't forget it. Because Jesus was talking to people who go to church and know their Bibles and are quite religious but are still dead spiritually because they've missed the point of it all. Jesus is like, right, I'm going to choose a cutting word. Eat my flesh because I cannot stand the thought that you come to church and you think that's enough to cure the problem of sin and death. You're missing the point. So I'm grabbing your attention. You need to be about me. Come to church all you like. If your life isn't centered around me, if I'm not in you, you still have the world's biggest problem of death looming over you. And so all these laws that they knew about not eating animals' blood, they were all about the coming blood which we are to feed on. The animals, that's not going to work. It's all just a picture of the blood that this one Savior will shed. The blood alone of Jesus will bring you new life. See everybody, even today, tuning in at home, welcome. Sorry if this offends us all, but we are spiritually dead. And soon to be physically dead. Sin is brutal. It's a killer. You can't take a paracetamol to cure cancer. You can't take religion to cure the problem of sin and death. And we need to see the horror of the problem and not sanitize it. And you know it. True forgiveness and restoration of relationships True life-changing, alterating alterations of character and forgiveness require bloodshed and death. If anyone in this room has ever really forgiven someone, really come face to face with the grit of hurt and betrayal, something of us has to die. To really forgive someone, our blood has to be shed. It's like my ego has to die because you've wronged me and I want to hold it against you. But I really will forgive you in a life-changing way. But I'm going to have to die to myself. You ever been through that with someone? If you just sweep it under the carpet, no blood, just like hippie love, peace man, it's not changing. You'll still hate the person. There's not enough blood on the floor in hippie circles. That's why it fades away. I was watching a John Lennon documentary with Rita this week, and he was doing his protest in the bed. Peace and whatever around the world, and he's protesting from his bed. I was saying to Rita, 
Do you know, at this very same time he's fighting for peace and forgiveness, he's fallen out with half the Beatles. They're not talking at this time. Because love and forgiveness is a nice idea. But unless there's blood, unless there's blood on the floor, it's just words. I read Jake LaMotta, the American-Italian boxer. My nose was broken six times. My hands six times. I fractured a few ribs. I've had 50 stitches over my eyes. But the only place I ever got hurt was outside of the ring. Powerful? People hurt me. It's a cruel world. We're cruel to each other. And we're heading to the grave. And Jesus is like, that is a real problem. Someone needs to climb down into our death who's more powerful than it. Someone needs to climb down into our sin and our cursed life who's not affected by it. And someone needs to go through it and pull people out. And so arrives the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll do that for you. And you need to connect to my shed blood as I die to destroy the power of death. Connect with me this day. And I will pull you through it. And your biggest problems will be a problem no more. Go there with me to Calvary. Take my death and life into you and I will pull you out. You will rise on that last day. And I'm going to help you with your relationships in the meantime. They'll be risen as well. So as we come to the table, there's no dignity here. There's no middle class decorum. There's blood shed. It's raw life and death for life's grittiest problems. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you know how powerful death is. How serious it is. We need a champion in this area who descends into Hades and destroys it. And there is one. Someone who says in the rawness of life, I'm going to go there with you. I'm going to go further into it. It's not magical thinking. It's not Shangri-La. It's not sentimental. It's going to be tough and gritty. But I will be with you and pull you through in your darkest moments. You don't want me to, to preach about plastic in the oceans. You don't. We need to hear about the blood the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that means we will see our loved ones again. Can someone raise us up to new life? Yes. And his name is Jesus. I close with this thought. It's often said when we die that the lights go off. It's like we enter into darkness. But I had a thought this week in the light of these verses that Jesus has gone to death and switched the light on for us. Our death, the Christian death, it's not so much the lights go off because we're entering darkness. What happens is the lights dim because we are ushered into the presence of the eternal light the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are standing in the presence of the dawn of the sun, your flickering little candle can go out because you are enveloped by the one who is altogether lovely and 
wonderful for us. Death becomes a birthday for a happiness like we've never known before. And with that said, we're going to sing. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table and remember his death and resurrection.